You should back me and make me the favourite because I'm faster, sharper, quicker and more determined. When the first bell goes on fight night, I'm going straight for my opponent and I'm going to hit him to the body, to the head and take him out. I'll say to my opponent, you ain't built for this, you ain't ready for this, you're in the trenches and there's no way out until I take you out. Ultimate Boxer. Guys, look, what's it, 10 days to go now to the Ultimate Boxer, as we're calling it in our circle, the coronation. So I think at the moment, John is the betting outsider. But if you've listened to me for long enough, you'll know that he brings a lot to the table that I don't think the other guys are really factoring in because they were never on his radar. Or he was never on their radar, I should say. Chief among those is actually the fact that this guy's fought seven times in 18 months. For a heavyweight, that kind of work rate, that's unknown. So there are a lot of things in his favor. So I'm just saying to you guys, look, get behind John. Follow him on Instagram at Jonathan Pilata or just search Jonathan Pilata. You'll find him because, look, if nothing else, he'll give you excitement in the show. And I know people have questioned whether, you know, he's got that, that concussive power. Listen, in these sorts of tournaments, it's hard to get the knockout, but... When it's there, he'll take it. And what he's really good at is counter-punching. So if someone gets loose, they're going to eat a left hook and they're going to hit the floor. So December 13th, look out for that on BT Sport. You know, for me, it's a, a fantastic point to hand John over to guys that can really guide his career. So, you know, when people go, oh, what do you do for Jonathan? After this, there's probably not much left for me to do apart from to be that that sounding board, that impartial voice, that voice of advice. And, you know, those the things that help someone become better. But, look, there are guys who are professionals at this, professional managers, professional trainers. Let's leave it to them to guide his career. You know, I can just save him. I can save him from blowing himself up. You know, that's my future role. It's just to be in the background and help him make the right choices in life. That's pretty much it. But I'm really looking forward to this because I think this is the culmination of our phase of work. After this, it'll be what Frank and his team can deliver for him. But what I really wanted to do with this podcast was just give you a quick helicopter view of the boxing that has happened this weekend. Well, just the bits I've taken in, because to be fair, I haven't taken it all in. So, you, as you guys know, with my affiliation, Friday night, I was at the Dennis Hobson show in Sheffield. And it was a good show. Look, if you, I think Dennis is caught between a rock and a hard place. Everyone remembers Dennis Hobson as a guy that helped build Ricky Hatton. Everyone knows Dennis Hobson as a guy that helped build David Hay, Anthony Small, even Spencer Fearon. Please don't boo me for that. We also know him as being heavily involved in the careers of many other guys, like Clinton Woods especially, one of my favourite boxers and the most underrated British boxer of all time. And to an extent, I'm biased when I talk about Dennis because Dennis is a friend. Dennis is, 
he's like a mentor in boxing. Like, you know, you can sit and listen to Dennis. You can ask him anything boxing related and he has an answer because if he hasn't seen it, he knows who has been through it. But most of the time he's been through it himself. So he's got that kind of expectation where people think Dennis Hobson's going to bring the glory days back. But boxing's moved on, so now Dennis is focusing on the small hall and bringing people through. And when you benchmark him against other small hall guys, you know, what's the benchmark? You can fill a thousand-seat arena. Pons Forge holds more than that, and he can more than touch that number. And he's not even trying at the moment. Like, Den hasn't really kicked in on the full marketing push. And, you know, show concepts and all these sorts of things. Right now, it is literally just building momentum testing things out and seeing what works. And he's still doing. It's got to be close to 900, 1,000 people in, in the venue. You know, so he's, it's not like he's on his knees or he's on his ass. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic. For anyone who has grown up in Sheffield, in Yorkshire, around the boxing scene, to be around guys like Sean Thicket, you know, Sean Thicket, Richard Towers, Cash Alley, you know, you're around real boxing people, good boxing people, you know. So big thanks to, to Porky Russ, who was also in impeccable form. But, you know, in terms of the key fights, look, Cash Alley looked good. I think him and Richard Towles would be really good because one thing I found from being around Cash, and Friday was the first time I'd really been around Cash, Cash is very bright, he's very intelligent. And when you are like that, and I don't mean like he's Mensa you know, IQ of 200. What I mean is he takes things in and he responds appropriately. And that's what Richard Towers needs because Richard is a, a deep thinker when it comes to boxing. So as a trainer-fighter combination, and I said this to him, if you just hitch your wagon to Richard Towers, you're going to be pretty hard to beat because Cash Alley's huge. You don't realize how big he is until you stand near him. He's absolutely huge. And I was impressed. You know, first round wasn't all that. You know, Richard Towers gave him the rollicking after that. I don't think he lost a second of the fight. And he stopped his opponent comfortably. So I'm happy for Cash. It's onwards and upwards. The As we all know, the heavyweight scene is interesting enough. But add to that the fact that him and Price obviously need to see each other again to address what happened in the first fight. And I think he's in a good place. Got to watch Tommy Frank as well. All I'll say about Tommy Frank in winning is he needs to fight Sonny Edwards now. We can't keep pretending, you know, we've all these British guys floating around not facing each other, your Selbys, your Edwards, your Tommy Franks, your Jay Harris's, whoever. Just get in and face each other. Let's just get on with it, for God, for goodness sake. And then the final fight was, forgive that, was Josh Whale versus, ah, oh man, the Ghanaian lad, and I've forgotten his name. Ah, So the final performance of the night was Josh Whale. Now, I don't know if anyone watched it on Free Sports, and if you did, I'd like to know how it played out on TV. I don't know whether it was a one person was good, one person was bad, but that's as even a fight as you can hope to see. That was a real toe-to-toe war, and that's the kind of fight that, in a small hall sort of setting, is what you want to see, because it, it was blood and guts. It was two guys who just really went for it. Different ways. So Josh was... You know, the barnstorming, you know, sheer volume of punches and aggression. 
and the Ghanaian lad he was facing. It was more just, you know, pick your shots, clever uppercuts, little cheeky counters, just to keep him honest. And then when he found his distance, he could just let go with, with combinations. So you know, it was a really entertaining fight to watch ringside. That's for absolute sure. As an overall event, I think it's brilliant because it's rare in the small hall scene that you get so many people that you've watched on TV. Your guys at Richard Towers, your Cash Alleys, your Glenn McCrory's, uh, Grant, the guy that owns the Daily Sport as well. All, all, you know, It's a real cast of characters that you get. And then the after parties equally as entertaining because it's just people all coming together. Sometimes there's fans getting to meet the boxers. You know, it's it's fantastic on a social level and it's fantastic on a boxing level. And I've spoken to Dan about this before. Now it's about what are those higher levels, you know? I mean, what does a TV broadcast look like? Can you get a bigger pot? Can you get a war chest to actually start to build the product and the proposition? And over time, these are things that will start to be tackled. I'm more than confident because, you know, Dan's competitive. Like, you know, he's a friend and I'm not afraid to say this. He loves to win. And he's one of these guys who's that perfect mix of renegade and politician. And he's a guy you'd love to see on TV. I'd love to see him on Sky because he'd be good box office on Sky. You know, in an era where promoters end up pissing fans off, he's one of the few guys I don't think could possibly do that. So also on Friday, Umar Sadiq, definite friend of the podcast and friend of a lot of guys who listen to this, so he boxed on Friday at a show in Bournemouth, at the O2 Academy in Bournemouth. I think it was a Steve Bendel card, and he got the win. You know, onwards and upwards for Uma. Love the fact that he's, you know, I mean, he's taking those risks. So it's going to be two fights in two weeks, heading into the end of the year. That puts him in a pretty good position for ranking, actually. And this is the thing people don't realize. You know, careers are about momentum. You can't sit around and wait for the big fights. You've got to keep that that ranking scoreboard ticking over with these kind of wins. So when you come to the board, you say, look, look at my record since the Chelly fight. I deserve the the shot at the English or the Southern area title. And he's got to be making a strong argument. A couple more wins, he'll be making a strong argument for fighting for a title again. And it'll be a good return back up the mountain for Uma. And I really, you know, he's one of these guys you just want to see do well. Because he's done everything the right way, number one. And number two, he's taken risks where others don't. And you always want to reward that kind of intelligent risk-taking. So onwards and upwards, December 14th, which is now turning into an absolute dilemma if you're a, if you're a boxing fan from London especially, because I think you've got the Brentwood show and likely you're going to have a Frank show as well. So uh, tricky. So in terms of London boxing fans, an absolute treat on... Saturday was at your call, the Steve Goodman show. London finally got to see Echo Esselman do his thing. Now, if you are fans of the New Age Boxing Podcast, you will know I've been talking about this guy for a long time and how he's one of the forgotten men of British boxing. Now, here's a lad who was on Team GB and then didn't quite make it. You know, some people just aren't made for tournament boxing. That's fine. But he was still a hell of a fighter as an amateur. I think he's got with guys like Josh Kelly. He, he might even have a Ted Cheeseman on his record. I don't know. But one of the things I take away from that process is you can get lost even when you've done all the right things. He was at risk of becoming another Chris Congo and that's no disrespect to Chris. I'd love to see Chris back and doing great things soon. But it was good to see Echo Esselman on a platform where 
now the the London hardcore can now see what we all believed back in the day. Because I remember my friend Derek Asaze, who won Ultimate Boxer, as you well know, just telling me how good this kid was. And now, you know, we're all believers. And Curtis Felix is not an easy guy to beat because there's nothing there that you can you can say is conventional. But when you've got good fundamentals, you do enough that you can you can make the unconventional conventional. And then you make your your talent and your experience pay, which which I think Echo did, and I'm really happy for him. So that's an absolutely brilliant win. You know, now is he knocking on the door for a Commonwealth title? Why not? Why not put him in that category? Let's see how far he goes. But what I don't want to happen is he gets fed to someone like a like a Josh Kelly or a Connor Ben after a long period of inactivity. So it's, it'll, be, it'll be really important to keep him active because I think, you know, he's a hell of a fighter. Um, the other one I wanted to touch on was obviously Linus Adofia, a guy who I have a lot of time for. Really engaging character, a lot of fun, fantastic. And he got his chance in an English middleweight title fight against Tyler Denny. And I know Dennis Hobson had a look at Tyler. A lot of guys had had a look at Tyler in terms of promoting him because he's he's tough, but he's also good enough. You know, he might never be a world champion, but he's a guy that will always give you a competitive fight, much like Lennox Clark, who will come on to later. But from the from the clips I've seen of the fight, you know, Liner's got Liner's got it over the line, and you can say it's a subpar performance. But sometimes you just think, look. I'm fighting for an English title. You know, the occasion can get to you, the, the distance can get to you, and that's fine. The important thing is he got the win. And I think that win will make him 15 to 20% better. So now it's onwards and upwards for him as well. You know, can he start pushing for that, top, that Commonwealth title? I think he can. I'm hoping in his promoter and his manager, he has a man that's prepared to back him to the hill and push him to be successful. But I'm really happy, you know, I get, I still get stick for being a Steve Goodman critic, but I said that was a good card, and from what people were telling me, it absolutely delivered. So let's have more of that in the small hall scene. That's what we should be demanding as a minimum. We should be getting four of those kind of cards a year. There's no excuse now because boxing's in a precarious position where people are about to lose interest, and this is the only way you bring them back when the best fight the best. It isn't often I get to gloat and celebrate on a podcast like this. It really isn't. But look, you know, Echo Esman did his thing. Linus Adofia did his thing. I'm buzzing for JP about to do his thing. And then a guy that no one ever talks about, and I never understand why, a kid called Jermaine Brown, ex-Fitzroy Lodge, turned over pro, trained by Adam Martin, and literally in the backwaters of everywhere, this kid's just been lit, just ripping heads off. Not, not just outpointing people ripping heads off so i watched him against sam cyper smith and swindon well i saw bits i haven't seen it all but i've seen bits of it and to see the improvement in the young man the way he's so relaxed in his shots and he gets full rotation and extension in his shots you know he's going to be an absolute problem as a super middleweight he he really is and what i love is he has natural rivals in that you know, there's Jermaine Williams, who's on his way up. He's about to have his second bout straight into a six-rounder, which is impressive. The Zach Chelly fight's always there for him, and, you know, that rivalry's real. And all these sorts of things are what we look forward to. But 
I'm so happy for Jermaine because he's done it on the dirt track. Just quite unassuming when the sparring's there, he takes it against anyone. And he has such a bright future. And, you know, so does Adam as well. People don't realize sometimes you've got to give the trainer their shine. So if you're a young pro and you want to be around someone who gets it, and I think Adam Martin gets it. Because I'll be real, when I first heard Adam was going to start training pros, I was like, yeah, he's another one of these lodge monkeys that's going to go there and turn their boxers into one, two merchants that won't go anywhere in the sport. That's what I felt. But the more I speak to Adam and I see the group he's got around him, and they're all progressive guys. So I think Adam's progressive in how he approaches boxing. I definitely know Roy Connor is, man. He's very progressive, especially for a guy who started boxing in probably the 70s. He's surprisingly progressive. And then in Mick Guilford as well, you've got another guy who's, who's got an open ear. So actually that coaching team, all ex-Lodge boys, is absolutely powerful. Like I would, if I was a professional, I'd be with those guys because they really know their shit. So Jermaine's in really good hands. I'm hoping he gets a televised deal because he's someone you'd back. Especially after the weekend we've seen now with where the super middleweight division's going. Jermaine Brown's a guy I'd be looking to invest in and fast track because he has the goods. He really, really does. But now, congratulations to those guys because that was a fantastic performance. You know, to become Southern Area title in barely a handful of fights is impressive. But on the same Mark Nielsen show, there was a there was an unfortunate result. So there's a lady called Rebecca Connolly. No one will know who she is uh, unless you're from the West Country. But Beck Connolly is a female boxer. Tiny. She might be flyweight or super fly or bantamweight. She's one of those weights. She's really, really small. But she's a fascinating character because God knows how many kids she has. She might have four kids. She's a single mum and she's in the army. She was the first woman... I think, to pass the combat test. So when they first allowed women to become infantry, you know, to join the infantry, to be frontline soldiers, she was the first woman to pass that physical test. So you know what sort of character you're dealing with here. And it's a shame. I think this was her ninth fight and sadly her sixth defeat. But I love the fact that she keeps coming back. And, you know, when you see that, and all boxing is all she knows, really. Well, not all she knows, but... It's her passion. It's what drives her. It's what, I mean, most people would have stopped by now. She keeps going. So I say, look, keep going, keep doing your thing. And hopefully those wins come. You know, she's trained by Paddy Fitzpatrick. So you're hoping that, you know, that adds value as well. But no, I think just, you know, just for all those people at Beck Connolly who, who come into the sport and, you know, they have a legacy of, you know, taking risks beforehand and they've got that fighting spirit. Look, keep going and hopefully it turns around for you. And on to Birmingham, where Sam Eggington boxed again. And that's actually true. Sam Eggington boxed on a Tommy Owens show. How far does someone have to fall from being a Barry Hearn pet project to then boxing on a Tommy Owens show? I don't even know who Tommy Owen is. The decline is swift and the decline is real. So, you know, I, who knows, man? This is, he's, he's disappeared into Frankie Gavin land. So good luck to him, whatever he decides to do next. But the main event, as you all know, was the Frank Warren show and Lerone Richards versus Lennox Clark. I didn't expect it to be that close. I don't think anyone expected it to be that close. Like, Lerone has blitzed absolutely everyone he's fought. He's outclassed them. He's just looked better. 
And out of nowhere comes Lennox Clark. Lennox? Really? Congratulations to him for actually, you know, really testing Lerone. But I leave that fight saying Lerone Richards is an enigma. Like, you watch him and everything he does is, is beautiful. It's elegant, it's pretty, it looks good, it shapes perfect. But it didn't seem to grind down Lennox Clark. So you wonder, what's really behind that? It's not really my place to speculate, but that was a fight I thought Lerone would win a lot easier. But having watched that fight, my, my one regret now actually is Lennox Clark never got to fight Daryl Williams. That would have been a hell of a fight because they're just two men who just want to throw leather at each other. And that would have been, you know, the ultimate war. But it's a shame we won't get to see that. Although maybe we will, you know, if... If people on either side could swallow their pride and, you know, Daryl could box again, I think that'd be fantastic. Because they're the kind of fights as boxing fans we want to see. As for Lerone, where'd you go after this now? You've you've won a belt and congratulations. But now, you know, do you start to look internationally or do you still wanna clean up domestically? And that's the question that I guess only he and his team will know at this point. But no, no, it was a good win. And I'm happy for the iBox guys, Eddie, Al, and the whole gang. So congratulations to them. Um, Zolani Tete, the least said the better. But it's a lesson. Don't get too hyped up on people until you've seen them in real tests. It was the same with the Nui. And then an aging Denaire just gave everyone a reality check. And then there's John Real Casimero, the guy that I think he's the guy that beat up Charlie Edwards in Charlie's first world title fight. And he showed that he's an incredibly hard man because he did the same thing to Tete. And when it got tough for Tete, he went missing. So I don't know what that means now for, you know, the 118 division. I don't know how you rebuild Tete from here. Do you put him in with Denaire? Is there any money in that? I don't know. But I don't think, I don't think Inoue will fancy it with John Real Casimir. I don't think many people will. The guy just looks like he's born to beat people up. So, you know, let's see what happens with that. As for the rest of the card, standard Frank card. And I think Frank's caught in this really interesting place right now where he has to look and watch Hearn, Aram, Heyman with their war chests just go off into the wilderness while he's there just... Literally trying to position his guys so that when all this money dries up, all of his guys are in prime position to fight for all the titles that are going to have to be vacated. So, you know, Francis has to keep plugging away. I'm looking forward to the Copper Box card December 21st. You know, hopefully that's going to be an absolute cracker. But to quote, my, quote Martin Theobald, I can't be bothered to waste my time with that. Well, maybe I might. I don't know. But no, I don't think Frank can play in the game right now. So Frank's just got to lay low till, till the boxing business becomes more sensible. In terms of the Monaco card, it was an absolute shambles. Uh, Cecilia Breakers wins, but quite frankly, she's not relevant to anyone in the sport right now. She's not Katie Taylor's weight. She's not Clarissa's weight. She's not Michaela Mayer's weight. She's not in a money division in terms of female boxing at the moment. So we, we we applaud from a distance and we say congratulations, but then we just zone out. Like You can't disrespect what she's achieved, but it's not exciting until she gives us wins over people that we care about. And right now we don't care about any of her wins. You know, 
So what, what does it really mean? Absolutely nothing. And this is the challenge of female boxing. A lot of it means nothing if there are no recognisable names. So like Middle, don't really care about. Middle, Clarissa Shields, fantastic, love that. Christina Hammer's there. We know some of the names at Middleweight. We don't care about the other weights. Like Lightweight, care about because you can bring people like Jonas in, Katie Taylor in, Terry Harper. We're invested. We're invested in the lower weight classes with the Shannon Courtney's of this world. But we just there's some weight classes that are just ghost towns to us. And I've, unfortunately, Cecilia Brakus isn't one of them. That the Chinese heavyweight, Zhilei Jing, Zhilei Zhang, whatever his name is. I mean, 20 fights and only now do we know this guy exists. So just whack him back in the dustbin and, you know, pray that he sees better days. And I can see why Huey Fury swerved that card, man. It was absolutely atrocious. Why does Hearn bother? Don't know. It's probably just a way of keeping someone else rich and powerful happy by just giving them cheap boxing content. Surprised Jamie McDonald's not there. But from what I'm hearing, Doncaster, you know, he's found other extracurricular activities that aren't beneficial to his boxing. And then just the final thing I wanted to touch on was the the Vegas card. Good to see Carl Frampton back. You know, pff, wrong side of 30 now. What's Carl got left? Now, the body attack looked really good. But it looked very one-dimensional. And it looked like it worked against someone who was susceptible to body shots. So good tactics. But that's not going to work on one of my favorite boxers at the moment, Jamil Herring. But it's good to see that there's a cordial relationship between those guys. Because if they do fight, and I hope they fight in the UK, it's literally two gentlemen of the sport you know, looking for those paydays and those legacy fights. So respect to both of them. Not Bob Arum, but Mr. Jamel Herring. It's been talked about him fighting you, possibly in Belfast next. Are you up to the challenge? Are you feel like you're ready if and when the hand is healed to fight for a world title and try to make history for Ireland? Absolutely. And, and look, Jamel, it's the first time I've met Jamel. I've, I, my impression of him before I met him was he's a nice guy and he's lived up to his, uh, his imp my impression I had of him. So I know he's a champ. I just want to fight for a world title next. Um, I want to be involved in big fights, and I would love the opportunity to fight Jamel. And, and I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the champion here. He's the champion. If it happens in Belfast, happy days. If it doesn't, if I have to go to New York, I'm also I'm keen for that. Two gentlemen of the sport, but Jesus, Jamel Herring's a lot bigger than Carl Frampton. You know, Herring's walking around like a welterweight, and you've got Frampton literally looking like a featherweight. So... Is that going to be one step too far? We'll find out. But, you know, let Carl start cashing out. No more inactivity. Four or five more big fights and let the man retire. As one of the people in British boxing, we'll always love and respect. You know, I think the last question I've got for any of you hardcore boxing fans is, why on earth is Danny Williams still boxing? 80-odd fights in and Danny Williams is still boxing in Germany or anywhere else that will have him. I understand school fees are expensive and the lifestyle he wants to live is expensive, but you've got to think about your health, man. That, that's, that's where I want to end it. You know, to all you boxers out there, everybody's got a shelf life and you have to respect it for the sake of your own health. Thank you. Have a good day, guys.